This is Out of the Blind Spot. I'm Orifa Adeshina. In the last episode, we began a conversation with Dr. Jane Edmund, a unicorn of sorts with unique life experiences and achievements at the crossroads of neuroophthalmology and leadership that set her apart. These include being a super specialized pediatric neuroophthalmologist and the inaugural and current chair of the Mitchell and Shannon Wong Eye Institute at UT Austin's Dell Medical School. She's also the president-elect of the American Academy of Ophthalmology. We learned about her pathway to leadership and some great ideas about how to use her platform as an ex-president of AAO to support her passions for the cognitive specialties of ophthalmology and address health disparities and inequalities. But for me, I have a few passion projects and I haven't identified the one that will be the primary one, but maybe I can pursue all of them. And one is this workforce shortage that is increasing in uveitis, pediatric ophthalmology, and neuro-ophthalmology. Another is health inequity. I encourage you to listen to the last episode before listening to this one. In this episode of Out of the Blind Spot, we focus more on Dr. Edmund's leadership experiences, what motivates her as a leader, her style of leadership that sets her apart, and her advice for the next generation of ophthalmologists. We're going to switch gears back to your leadership medal here. I, I guess I want to ask you why you're a leader. Is it something that you were, so you were drawn to it because of the way that you lead is different from the traditional chair and, and, and male leader? You know, do you think you're born with the innate qualities that help you be a good leader or did you develop them? You know, if I, I think, well, I think everyone, everyone in medicine, we're all leaders, right? We, we lead our patients, we lead our staff. So in a way, all physicians are leaders. But I think maybe some of my background in leadership, aside from that, is being a mother. Hmm. Managing your family and children, because I really do feel like my staff and my residents and my faculty are my kids. And there's some negotiation, there's some HR work, there's bringing everybody together. And fortunately, well, you know, we can't choose our children, but you can choose your faculty and staff and your residents and to bring in people that are mission aligned who we're all pointing toward the same North Star that has made leadership for me easier. And you know, this job, I was asked to apply, but I was not going to apply because I knew four or five chairs that were applying for this position. And because hmm. I had no chair leadership, I I knew about the position because I was president-elect or president of APOS at the time. And was very certain that with that competition that I would not be chosen. But maybe based on the dean's culture that he established and my motherly sort of approach to bringing people up, mentoring them, I'm in charge of their development. We do things more democratically. I have to have a heavy hand occasionally, but not frequently. I'm transparent. I serve as a 
always strive to serve as a role model. If I, I'm going to stick my neck out there first before I'm going to make my faculty do something that's not comfortable. So I think it maybe the motherhood thing, being a mom, was the most beneficial leadership experience I had because I had I've never had formal training. There are plenty of wonderful leadership development courses that tend to be pretty pricey and plenty of chairs have had coaches. They are also super pricey, like, you know, between 30 and 100,000 a year. Wow. Uh, and when I got here, I was so busy and I hadn't negotiated that with my dean. So I was just sort of trial by fire and, and learning as I went. Well, we're glad you applied for that position and you, and you got it because it's refreshing to hear your leadership perspective. I'm going to ask you about that specifically. What would you say your leadership style is? And we've mentioned the word true north a few times. I'd love to know what your true north is. So right now, Arafi, I think departments, well, obviously they evolve. Many of us have come out of legacy departments where you didn't see where you know, how it began. But for me, this, the beginning, starting our department, the North Star is resident education. So it took about six months of being in the first employee of the department and working with the Dell Med finance people and the program managers to try to, is it research? Is it clinical care? You know, what pillar of academic medicine do I focus on? Obviously, all three are very important. But when I made the resident education, the North Star, everything else made sense. Yeah. Like we'll have incredible clinicians and surgeons and educators for this next generation of ophthalmic leader is what our goal is to create in our residents. Socially conscious residents, as you've heard, I have a passion for addressing the health inequity in, in eye diseases and eye health. So making the residency training the North Star, it brought in the right faculty who were great clinicians and surgeons already, but also with a mission and interest and commitment of education. And then the research piece falls under that. So that's our North Star. Uh, use this leadership quote as part of the intro for a second episode. And what would you say is your leadership style? So collaborative, democratic, open door sort of policy, inviting different opinions, open dialogue, inviting controversy and different opinions, making it a safe place, making our faculty meetings a, a safe place to say, I don't agree with that because I think all my faculty and my staff know how much I value their opinion. No one person can know everything. And I freely admit I do not know everything. And I bring in faculty and staff to help build my cabinet so that between all of us, we can move forward and create a better department and better patient experience and outcomes and residency experience. So that would be my leadership style. That's wonderful. Wonderful. What do you wish you had known before 
achieving this level of leadership, being a chair and president elective AAO? What are some things that you wish you had understood or maybe had been taught before you got to this level? So in as for the chair, obviously I'm president elect of the academy and I'm sort of just now getting, you know, my training wheels there. But I do think I I have the skills to be president because of all of this experience within the academy. Obviously, I'm still learning. But with the chair, what I would tell myself back then is that the chair job requires risk taking. And I guess I've taken risks by accepting opportunities that were out of my comfort zone, but this was a huge step in the risk-taking direction. Another thing I would tell myself is get comfortable being uncomfortable. So we have a new dean, COVID hit, our clinical revenue tanked. Mm. We get a new president of UT Austin. The provost changes hands. Lots of ambiguity, right? So be comfortable with ambiguity. Be comfortable pivoting. And yeah, be comfortable with discomfort. Nothing more certain in our lives than change. There you go. Wow. And I have a big responsibility, as you've heard, to these people that I was fortunate to hire. It's also a blessing to be in a, a part of a brand new department, right? Because I don't have faculty or staff that have been there forever that are just, you know, soaking up the largesse of the department and are not giving back. We've all been in departments or I'm sure practices with individuals who've cut back and are not contributing. They're not really solid citizens of the practice or department anymore. So I have the great opportunity to bring in brand new folks that I didn't have to deal with that. Well, they're, they're bought into the mission from the beginning. That is correct. That is correct. Okay. What advice do you have for young ophthalmologists when starting their career, whether it be choosing a career path or wanting to become a leader? If you could look back at yourself starting out, you know, what would you have told yourself coming out of either medical school or coming out of residency? I would have told myself, Orefe, that life is not linear. There are some individuals, like my spouse, who had this idea, I'm going to be a chair. And everything I do is going to make sense to that trajectory. For me, I had children. I worked part-time for 10 years. My academic career was not on that continual uphill incline, uphill trajectory. And I had disappointed myself because that was the expectation of many people around me. But life doesn't always evolve that way. And to be comfortable and to be satisfied and not dismayed or disappointed if your life doesn't have a continual linear uh, uphill progression. That life has chapters. And if a chapter involves childcare, there may not be the ability to pursue those academic dreams or get your R01 funding 
or a bunch of leadership positions in your organization, you know, your hospital, your department, your practice, professional organizations either. So to not be too dismayed and to relax, life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. So I would tell my younger self to chill out, (laughs) taking that 10 years to work 70% time so I could pick my kids up two days a week and not writing all those papers didn't really seem to have a very negative impact on my professional career. A second thing I would tell myself definitely as a graduating fellow or resident is to try to not take position in a practice or in a department that doesn't mesh with your vision and vision of how people should be treated, the culture. If the culture of the practice or the organization doesn't fit with yours, you will not be happy. You may have to take that job because of family constraints. You can't move. This is the only neuro-ophthalmology job in this town, and you have to stay in this region. There may be reasons you have to take a job. The culture is not fit with you. But I will tell you, I've never been more happy than being at Del Med because of my cultural fit. We wanted to integrate with the community of practitioners, for me, in ophthalmology, to heal a community, whether it be commercially insured or whether it be the safety net population. That culture, prior to this position, I just fully expected I would not be aligned with probably 50% of the leaders in the organization. Their mission was not value. It wasn't a value-driven mission. It was a revenue-driven mission. Physicians were commodities. Patients just had to be throughput, you know, increase your templates, operate on Saturday, after-hours clinics. No regard for work-life balance. So I would advise my younger self, really think about culture Because if you fit the culture, like, I'll take a hit for my team. Like, okay, we got to roll our sleeves up. It's COVID. We're going to have to work differently, have alternative work, flex work, work from home, you know, pick it up when COVID's over. I'll do that if I am meshed with my team and I am in sync with the vision and mission of a school. You spend most of your waking hours at work, so you need to really be considering how your heart and your soul and your head fit with the organization that you're spending most of your waking hours with. I love that culture and the idea that it starts from the top and it it flows flows through the rest of the, the individuals and the organization and it must align to to make things work. I love that. So there's a, I think it's a quote by Kierkegaard. The fish rots from the head, which means if the leader is rotten, the whole organization's going to go. Well said, well said. So as we wrap up our conversation, this wonderful conversation, what are your final thoughts on the future of neuroophthalmology? Pediophthalmology, your ability and role in, in helping those specialties. What are your, your final thoughts? 
medicine, the house of medicine, ophthalmology, there are always battles. There's always barriers and obstacles and setbacks. But we went into medicine to serve our patients. And with that in our hearts, we are bound to persevere and succeed. So neuro-ophthalmology and pediatric ophthalmology and uveitis, I think even though there are some barriers right now in enrolling and engaging residents and medical students into our specialties, with the attention the academy is giving this, with the attention these the subspecialty societies are giving this issue, it's it's got to get better. It will get better. And wonderful. Jane, Dr. Edmund, thank you so much for joining me. This inspiring and wonderful conversation. Your words of wisdom are truly appreciated. And I think our audience will, will really gain a lot from, from hearing this conversation and, and what you, you bring to the table for not only for your specialties, uh, but for ophthalmology in general and what you're going to do as president of AAO. So looking forward to, to that and hopefully circling back at some point in the future and, and catching up again. Uh, to discuss what's what's happened. So, Aravi, I really appreciate you inviting me to speak tonight, and I want to thank you for your work with the Minority Ophthalmology Mentoring Program. You've been really instrumental there, and out of the work of the task forces, task force in health disparities, and work that preceded that, how important diversity is for our patients and diversifying our our workforce. It has been clearly shown time and time again that patients are more compliant when they trust their doctor and when their doctor can speak to them and look like them and understand their backgrounds, uh, their compliance and their health is improved. So diversity of thought and experiences, how, how rich that makes an organization. So thank you for your work, important work in that, in that space. Thank you for your kind words. I appreciate yeah. it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Rafe. What an inspiring example to follow. Dr. Edmund's passion and clear-eyed focus on taking care of others through her leadership roles was palpable throughout our discussion. I cannot thank her enough for speaking with me about her experiences, her commitment to supporting the cognitive specialties of ophthalmology and the underserved, and for providing words of wisdom to encourage and support the next generation of ophthalmologists. She truly is one of a kind. That's our episode for today. I again want to thank Dr. Jane Edmund for sharing her wonderful perspectives and experiences. Please stay tuned for our next episode as we continue to bring you all things neuroophthalmology. Until then, take care and see you next time when we come to you again out of the blind spot.